Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 47 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course, the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe, share the show around on social media, and if you have a chance, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Joining me today is my regular co-host, Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you? Hello, I'm good. Long day, fun day, long day. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of our days, but it was. It was a fun <laughs> and a good day. I had a very good time overall. We, uh, I know you were able to catch some Royal Quest. I am going to have to review that after we do this. So we will get to that, and we'll probably talk about that Tuesday night. Um, but today we are going to talk about NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff, uh, as well as AEW All Out. So it was a pretty stacked day if you managed to get all three shows in. But even if you only caught these two, a pretty great day of wrestling overall. And CM Punk talked on a microphone for two hours. Wow. Dude, when you're when you're covering news, I had three streams going at once today at about like two o'clock once takeover started, and I was trying to cover everything. This afternoon was just nuts, but you don't seem too excited about CM Punk. He was talking movies, brother. I was gonna say, did he say anything interesting? I don't know. I didn't watch it. He said he wasn't gonna be at all out. He was spending time with AJ Lee. So Well, he told he, the he, truth. Yeah, he was not lying. Yeah, and we will we'll obviously talk about, we will right. talk about all out, and uh, yeah. we did get a surprise at all out, but it obviously was not CM Punk. Could have been. We don't know. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. They could have had masks under their masks, or the Pentagon didn't reveal his face. <laughs> yes, that's right. CM Punk has been moonlighting <laughs> as Pentagon for the past few years. Yeah, love them in Lucha Underground. I mean, Jericho did it for a night. <laughs> Fair enough, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I had a I had a really good time uh, covering the shows today. Uh, saw a lot of a lot of good stuff, a lot of great stuff, and some spectacular stuff. So we'll talk about that, Jeremy. We're gonna start off with uh, NXT UK Takeover Cardiff, and um, let's see here as I try to type my timestamps and fail. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we, uh, they said they were sold out. Building looked good. Uh, they had a rowdy crowd. We started off with two of your favorites, Noam Dar, defeating Travis Banks. First off, this crowd ruled. Uh, I mean, they were more than excited. Like they were into this show start to finish, and we'll, I'm sure we'll mention them more later on. But man, this crowd was just—they were red hot for everything, and it made this show uh, so much better. And it was already a really good show. Um, Dar and Travis Banks, yeah, I, I mean, I I didn't have an interest in either of these guys, even though they've been featured on NXT UK, and they had a good match. Like, it was a really good match, and the, the crowd was really into it, which helped. I still, I think Dar winning is the right call. There is some potential there with him, and he did get the, the rub on, I feel like he was on Raw for a couple, couple episodes and, and 205 Live, so yeah. he's a little bit more well-known um overall though a great way to open it and again the crowd was really into it and they were into these guys so good, really good opener yeah i thought it was very good uh the crowd was really invested into everything like you said and that that lasted throughout the night uh definitely helped the match out a lot not that it was bad or anything but it just had a really good energy to it 
It's always amazing. We talk about that. It's amazing how much a crowd can affect a show because you can be watching a good wrestling match, but if there's no noise and no crowd reaction, which is something I've complained about on some of like the Impact Twitch shows, like when they do specials and stuff, they like just poorly mic the crowd. And then I hear reports from people that are that are like, "Well, the crowd was loud all night." Well, tell Impact to fucking mic it better. You know, I'm like, that's I'm that's great that you guys were like rowdy all night. But if I can't hear it, I can't, you know, it doesn't help me out. But, uh, yeah, really great crowd for it. Uh, very good match. Dar won in 14 minutes. Slightly surprising, but um, this was kind of a toss-up. I thought Banks may win, but uh, looks like they're going to roll with uh, Dar as a heel here for a little bit. And not the worst call they can make. No, not at all. Dar, Dar is fine. I actually think that chris jericho did more promotion for him than anybody because jericho talked about what a big fan of noam dari is and i was like oh okay well that makes me a little bit more interested in him so good job chris jericho thank you chris jericho and then something we were looking forward to very much jeremy cesaro was backstage was ready for his open challenge and Ilya Dragunov answered that challenge so we had a battle of european grapplers here Again, this crowd fucking ruled. Uh, they had a, I thought, it was a great match. Twelve and a half minutes. It was, it was exactly what you want to see from Cesaro. Like all the stuff we talk about. Like we saw glimpses of it. Like when he was facing Joe the other week. Uh, the Alistair Black match a while back was great, also. But it's like the Cesaro we don't get to see that often. So he was just. First of all, he looked like he was having the time of his fucking life. He looked so excited to be there. This ruled so much. I love Cesaro. This man is awesome. I I know he's in kind of the, the twilight of his career. I mean, if he's on the Jericho run, he's got 10 more years left. But for, for overall, his prime, physical prime, even though he still looks and acts like in great shape and he's a, a freak of nature, technically speaking, or I guess realistically speaking, he's, he's past his, his supposed physical prime of a normal human being although he's not normal. Um, he he rules so much. And uh, Ilya is like, – that was a guy I mentioned on, on the preview podcast. Like why wasn't this guy on the show? He made perfect sense to come out here and wrestle Cesaro. Like Devlin would have made sense, but, you know, Devlin lost the baller, so you don't want to just have him keep losing to these WWE guys. Um, you know, Ilya get, it gets a rub here from just being in the ring against him. And even though he lost, like he was competitive – against cesaro and so this this is great i hope i really hope cesaro stays in nxt uk like they got the tapings tomorrow he gets that's three four weeks of television right there you can use them fly them over there for the tapings you're only doing tapings like once every other month anyway so i i hope he actually stays and gets a a good run and he can still be on raw or smackdown or wherever as well yeah, I completely agree. But yeah, this was great. A good, hard-hitting, competitive match where Cesaro just felt like such a star in front of that crowd. They loved everything he did. Drunkenoff lost absolutely nothing here. As you said, he was extremely competitive. And as we talked about in the preview podcast, man, this Cesaro NXT UK potential run has just so much potential because you have these singles matches you can do like you said you brought up devlin devlin's another great name there's a lot of guys he can work with you could always do the tag run with ono there's a lot to do here but yeah this crowd loved it they were into everything and then uh post match he um 
he teased a uh, he teased attacking Dragunov, but it was a just a tease. They shared an embrace, and uh, the European lads were proud of their work. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I I hope Cesaro gets the run. That's it. Because like seeing him in front of this crowd, and he'll help move tickets to the, these tapings as well. Because he is a star, and he certainly came off like a a huge star on this one. So uh, I'm. All for uh, Cesaro teaming up, team him up with Ono one night, and, and let's make this happen. Exactly. Yeah, I am all in on this run because, like I said, he looked like he was having the time of his life, felt re-energized. The guy can obviously still go, as we've seen. Like talked about the Aleister Black match on pay per view, which I really enjoyed. This match here, you know, but it's just um that and just this like everything is so fresh for him in the NXT UK show. Because there's right. tons of guys that he may have worked with prior to WWE, but like there's so many people that have not seen him work with other guys. So it's going to be fresh to a lot of people. And, you know, someone was like, I'm surprised they didn't save this match and have Cesaro work WXW against Dragunov. I'm like, no offense to WXW, but why would WWE burn that match when you could put it on here where way more people are going to see it? Yeah. And no offense, I like WXW. They put on a ton of good shit, but I mean, I was glad that this was on the show. And again, I'm just, I'm super excited for this run. So we move on. First title match of the evening, Jeremy. Uh, We had Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster defeating champions, the Grizzled Young Veterans and Gallus, just over 20 minutes via pin. I thought this ended up being uh, a great overall tag match. There was a lot of good drama. Uh, Gallus were kind of like, they were fine as the bullies, but they were kind of an afterthought, but at least they didn't bring the match down. I thought it came off a lot better than I expected. Actually, I thought it would be very good, but I thought it was actually great. I think the tag title change was the right call. It made sense because I think down the line, you can have Andrews and Flash be great baby faces feuding with Imperium and then eventually do a title change to them. But yeah, great near falls and some teases down to stretch. And uh, I really enjoyed this one. Just uh, another, a great show, a, a great match to back up that Cesaro match. I'm convinced Gallus was in this match so they can come back with uh, the two on two match with Andrews and Flash against Grizzled Young Vets. Um, yeah. not, not that Gallus was bad in this match, but as you said, they, they were definitely the, the third wheel in this match as it was the Grizzled Young Vets and. Andrews and Andrews and Flash show and it rolled like the crowd once again just into everything like the the near falls throughout the entire match like the crowd was in on all of them and I know Andrews and Flash like it, it was uh, their hometown and um, they had their band there or whatever yeah. they did, did the theme yeah so like crowd was into that after they won they partied with the crowd and everything and just Great match, a lot of really strong teases, really, really hot crowd, and I mean that's that's the recipe right there. Yeah, and again, um, it ended up like a lot better than I thought because I thought, like I said, I thought it would be very good, but it just um that crowd amped it up. The closing stretch was great, really good near falls and teases. So yeah, really, really good stuff. They all delivered, and Andrews and Flash are a great babyface tag team. 
yeah, they're 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 really strong, and you know they're doing the tapings again from um, tomorrow today. By the time everyone listens to this, in front of essentially the same crowd, so they'll be super over at the tapings. That'll come across really well on on television and stuff. So th- this is definitely a, a good move. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm excited for the for a rematch with uh, the Grizzled Young Vets because I think they can have a great match with them too, just without a, a third wheel in there. Uh, we moved on. Last man standing match. Joe Coffey defeated Mastiff just over 16 minutes. Jeremy, I go to you first. The rope broke immediately. I don't think that was planned. Uh, it looked cool. It was definitely like a holy shit moment because you, you're not expecting the, the ring rope, the, the top rope, to immediately break in the match. They, they did well to work around that. Unfortunately, it was a lot of like brawling in the crowd and stuff and so it made it i'm not a huge fan of crowd brawling like they can do cool spots and they did hear falling off of stuff and uh they did like the jousting spot and stuff so so they did some really cool stuff around it it's just the problem is like only half the crowd not even like a fourth of the crowd can see it and so you essentially take out um three quarters of the crowd because they can't see shit so what are you know what are they cheering for they're basically reacting to reactions um and the last man standing stipulation i I said it on the preview not a big fan of it didn't it was whatever for this match the finish was flat because these finishes are always for the most part flat like the crowd just like oh okay like that's it it's over um but a a fun a fun brawl and a good job after the the top rope broke if that wasn't the plan yeah, I, there's a ton of people that I saw were convinced that it, it was a uh, it was gimmick to break, and if it was fine, uh, and if not, like like you said, I agree they improvised around it well. I saw a lot of people were like, "Well, it obviously was planned because Massive just right away started using it." It's like, well, very good professional wrestlers can like you know improvise really well. So I mean, I wouldn't you know I'm sure he's been in a match where the rope is broken. Tons of guys talk about that all the time. But if, even if it was planned, I mean, yeah, it um it worked okay. But um I do agree, yeah, a l- little flat with so much uh, crowd brawling. But thankfully the uh the crowd was uh very polite because like a U.S. crowd would have started chanting, "We can't see shit." Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, they they stayed into it pretty well. Uh, and, and we talked about this too in the preview, and you mentioned it. Last man standing matches can be really hit and miss because you don't have the near falls. Oftentimes, like the ref just counts for no reason, and it's like gets really fucking tedious. But um, I thought it was good overall, hard hitting plunder brawl. Um, but yeah, that finish was flat because WWE especially likes to get so cute with last man standing finishes. They did a big, uh, they did a big fall spot off the pre-show set through a table, and they do the struggle to their feet spot. And Mastiff is pulling himself up on one of those production boxes on wheels, and Joe Coffey kicked it out from under him and won. Okay, that was kind of cute but flat. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I just I'm not a big fan of the last man standing stipulation, and this it was it was another one where. It's tough to get into that stuff for for me. It doesn't matter how many times they they fall off stuff. If you look at the history of last man standing matches, there's just not that many that are like great great matches. Um, but the crowd chants, this is awesome, and the the crowd. You're right. They they were polite. Like they they could have been really mean on this, and they weren't. So 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 that was good. The, this crowd, they should tape everything in front of this crowd. It should be the new full sale. Yeah, they they were really great. 
Um, so we moved on to our next title match, which saw Kaylee Ray defeat champion Tony Storm 10 minutes via pin. I thought this was good, but slightly disappointing with a flat finish that the crowd didn't seem quite ready for. They were having a good match. It, it started off well. There was some good intensity from Tony Storm because Kaylee Ray had made it personal. I thought, like I said, I thought the match was good. It was going along well, and then uh, Kaylee Ray cut her off, hit a gory bomb onto the ropes, and then the gory bomb proper to pick up the win. And I think people thought it was going to keep going from there. Because Tony Storm hit Storm Zero earlier in the match, and Kaylee Ray kicked out. And, yeah, it just it was good. The finish happened, and it was like, okay. I mean, I think the title change is probably the right move because I think Kaylee Ray's probably going to end up feuding with Piper Nevin, which I'm all for. Um, but yeah, I think I expected a little more from this, honestly. It was the crowd wasn't into it, and I think that was sort of the the biggest problem. Like, I like the story leading up to it. Um, the actual match, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it technically. Like, the the work was good. Uh, but the, the crowd just wasn't into it, and then it was like really short. So they, you know, they didn't like build anything. It's like okay, three gory bombs, and and one was cool where she she slang her off the ropes, uh, and then it was like over, and it's like oh okay. And Tony Storm, I like her. Some of the the facial expressions she was making, uh, I don't know, didn't like seem to fit because I feel like she should have come with more fire instead. It. She, she let everything get to her, and maybe that's where they set up the rematch, but uh, I don't know. I wasn't a fan of like just Tony's body language in this match. I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, it's um, it, it's part of the match, and like you said, it's um, it would have gone with the story more if there was a little more fire from her, because Kaylee Ray's basically telling her she has no friends, your daddy left you because he hated you and all this shit. It's like... Yeah, it's like a little more fire and aggressive, maybe a little bit more intensity to the brawling and stuff. But I mean, yeah, it's um, it, it like I said, I thought it was good, but just kind of disappointing with that finish out of nowhere almost because like, like I said, it didn't feel like the crowd was ready for because they already saw that one finisher kick out, and I think they were waiting for Tony Storm to kind of return to favor and then go into a more dramatic home stretch. And I'm not opposed to finishes out of nowhere, but like you said, with the crowd not being into this one, like they were like, especially the last two ma- the or the two matches earlier, like the Cesaro match and then the tag title match, they were really into those like big time. And then this one, it was like, yeah, you girls did a nice job. Thank you for coming. Clap, clap. <laughs> yeah, they they just they weren't they they weren't feeling it, and then the girls didn't give a, have enough time to to make them feel it, and you know it ended, and they were they were polite once again, but it just it could have been maybe a little bit of fatigue, like they were you know, the Cesaro match, and then the the tag title match, then the match previous to this, like had some had some big spots, and but they couldn't see it, so that kind of took out a portion of the crowd. And then you had this match where again, Storm and Ray just didn't have enough time to really get them into it. And maybe if they had an extra five minutes, they, they could have turned things around. Um, but they they didn't, and so it just it just was what it was. And then of course you had uh, Bate and Walter coming up, and so you knew the crowd was going to be hot for that one. Yeah, 
And going back to the last man standing match really quick, um, I saw a lot of, apparently a lot of people liked this way more than I did. I saw people talking about it. It was a great match and the, the best Haas fight they saw in 2019. And I'm like, no offense. I mean, if you love the match, I think that's absolutely spectacular. But if you want to see some Haasy goodness, uh, please go watch Shingo and Ishii. And I'm not saying that to be like a New Japan snob. I'm just like, if you want to see dudes really beating the shit out of each other and doing hossy things and really cool stuff, you need to check out something like that. Because, I mean, if you thought this was great, your world is going to be rocked. So, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, Shingo and Ishii is certainly, like, that is way more of a hoss match than Mastiff and Coffee. And again, there was nothing wrong with Mastiff and Coffee. It was just like, it was good, but it just, I, I thought that finish was a little flat. And the stipulation just, I don't think the stipulation really added to the match, which it should. If you're going to add a stipulation, make sure it adds to the match. It made sense with what they did in the build, but it just didn't add anything for me. So, Not at all. We move on to the main event, Jeremy, and I will start with you. Champion Walter defeated Tyler Bate. 42 minutes and 20 seconds via pin. This match fucking ruled. Um, just so, so good. I told you. I told you this is going to be the match of the weekend. And for me it was, and I didn't go out on a limb there, but there were a lot of great matches the, this weekend on paper, and I still had confidence that Bate and Walter was going to be the match of the weekend. I think it was. I, I don't know how what you felt, but I certainly think it was the match of the weekend. The angle leading up to it was really strong. Bate just, his, he didn't give a fuck the entire match. He's like, I'm just going to throw myself into this man and worry about the consequences tomorrow. And Walter is just like, all right, cool. Throw yourself into me. I'm going to chop you out of midair and just keep kicking the shit out of you if that's what you're going to do. And Bate was also like willing to, to kill him at one point with that superplex to the outside that he thought about. And it, like he knew he had to murder this man to beat him. And I fully supported him in his attempted homicide because uh, that's professional wrestling. Uh, the, I, I even love the finish. Like I, people can say it was flat because, you know, I guess they didn't want the match to end, but it had to end. And, and Walter winning was maybe, I don't, I don't construe this as flat. Like it Kaylee Ray and Tony storm where it's like, Oh, he, she won. This is like, we're stunned. Like this was a, a stunned crowd. Like they were so behind Tyler Bate that Walter winning just silenced them and pissed them off. But I loved it because like they're doing the Tyler Bate song and right in the middle of the song, he clotheslines the shit out of him and then pins him. And like everyone singing just hushes. And it was just so, so fantastic. And it's just like, yeah, you thought he was making this big comeback? Nah, like we're, we're done. I'm ending this full. I love this match. This is one of my, my favorite matches of the year. It might be my match of the year. I'd have to rewatch stuff. And it's probably some recency bias as well. But like the crowd being into it the entire time. Yeah, it was long. Yeah, they kicked out of a lot of stuff. Like, that's kind of professional wrestling in 2019. It didn't take anything away. I never felt like it was too long, and the crowd never felt like it because they were into the, the whole way. I, I can't say enough good things about this match. Yeah, you called it your match of the weekend. I, I definitely thought it had potential to be that. And I haven't seen Royal Quest yet, but something is going to have, have to be really fucking spectacular to beat this one. I went the full five on this one. 
I thought this was absolutely fucking spectacular. They, like you mentioned, they had a great angle coming into this. And they honestly, the match is very simple. All they did was play off of that. They played the bully versus resilient babyface, which Walter is the perfect bully. And Bate is an amazing resilient babyface. They did callbacks to the uh, time Walter injured Bate before this. Um, Bate had these like awesome little odes to Pete Dunne when he did the finger snap spot. And then later on the Trent 7 when he hit a fucking burning hammer on Walter. I mean, it was just so awesome. The whole thing, the layout, everything. The crowd was into it from bell to bell. Walter was just brutalized. He beat, I mean, he brutalized Bate. He beat on him. There was great little touches all throughout the match. Work was top notch. Great drama. The crowd, so amazing. The closing stretch, man, was just, you talk about getting into those closing stretches, man. This was dramatic, it was energetic, and just all the little things they kept doing, and like, Bate doing the big strong boy spots on Walter, and like, the crowd just buying into these near falls, with the fact that like, 99.9% of everybody had to know we weren't getting a title change. But that's the thing, you have to sell people on that title change. And they absolutely did here, because that crowd was just buying into it. So you added all that and put it over the top for me. This was everything I wanted. Everything I wanted more. Definitely a match of the year contender. You said it might be your match of the year. It's definitely up there. It's easy top five, maybe top three. Absolutely love this. Was it long? Yes. Did they kick out of a lot of shit? Yes, but again, they were telling the resiliency story of Tyler Bate, him trying to come back and get revenge for Walter and his douchebag friends taking out him and his friends. So I absolutely love this. And like you said, the finish was so good because Walter was just like so pissed off at the end. And he fucking hits like a half and half on the apron, hits a top rope splash, only gets two. Hits another half and half, Bate kicks out again. Walter just starts slapping the shit out of him, power bombs him, and Tyler Bate does the big fucking uh, fighting spirit kick out at one. Walter's shocked, and then like you said, they start singing the Tyler Bate song. He hits chops and then just decapitates his poor lad with a lariat to put him away. And the crowd was like so loud, and it was like, fuck, he lost. And that was great. That wasn't flat. That was like, you son of a bitch, we were trying to rally him and you fucked it up. You know, so yeah, I absolutely love this. Um, so it might end up being my match of the weekend, I have to watch Royal Quest still, but yeah, something's going to be at the really spectacular to get close to this and match it. I absolutely love this, took the show to another level. Post-match, Tyler Bate got the big standing ovation as Imperium posed, and then uh, Pete Dunne and Trent Seven arrived to console their poor little buddy. And I don't know what's going on. We'll find out more to tapings, but almost felt like a curtain call farewell for British Strong Style, or at least they wanted to tease that. It did. It did the post-match angle with them hugging everything. I mean, we know Don is going to, looks like he's going to be in NXT a little bit more moving forward. Bait, he could certainly fill in on any roster. I mean, and, and Trent Seven, like you could 
you can team bait and seven again on on really any roster you want to. So it did look like that. I also kind of took it as uh, almost a Kofi elimination chamber type deal where you know he did everything he could and he he just he couldn't get it done. But I don't feel like they're they're setting up for for a big like Tyler Bate defeats Walter, but. Could could be wrong. We'll see what happens in the in the television tapings. Um, but either way, they it was a it wasn't like a a big post match angle that you're used to. But there was a lot of different subtleties that they could go in different directions with if if they choose to. And if guys whether whether they stick around or whether they're they're going elsewhere, like if it was a send off or if it sets up a, a bait, you know, coming back and trying to be stronger with with the help of his friends because they're back in his corner now, then. We'll, we'll see, but there, there's some subtleties there that they could take it in, in any direction they really want to. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good way to end the show, too, because it, it's leaving you guessing. Are they leaving? Is it going to be a redemption story? Because like now you have to start playing the game of like who is going to be the one to unseed Volter? I mean, who is it going to be? Um, who are going to be his next challengers? You know, stuff like that. So there's a lot of stuff to play with there. Which I think is a good way to end the show. And overall, I thought uh, TakeOver Cardiff was a pretty fucking great show. Tremendous success. And I thought it was a vast improvement over the first TakeOver back in January. I thought Cesaro came off like a big star. The title changes made sense. Ton of quality wrestling. And the main event was just a classic. And I understand that not everybody has all the time like I do. Because this is my job to watch all these shows. And I understand if you haven't followed NXT um, UK on a weekly basis. Perfectly understand that. But if you haven't, I would make the time to watch this show because they had good video packages. You'll be up to date on everything. You'll be fine. And you'll probably walk away loving it and maybe wanting to give the brand a chance because this was a really great show. Definitely. Uh, The TakeOver name carries so much value and whether it's NXT, NXT UK, I thought it was better than the the first show as well. Not that the the first show was bad, but it didn't have a main event on on this level. That's for sure. I mean, Dunn and Coffee was, was a was a good match, but it didn't have the, the really just the, the star power or even like the work rate of of Walter and, and Tyler Bates. So that hurt the first show, but they still made the first show feel feel special with the uh, title changes, title title coronations, and the the big Finn Balor surprise. So Takeover just delivers it. NXT UK. It's the the weekly show isn't my my favorite show. It's certainly at the bottom of my list with with everything to watch. But there's enough good stuff there to where if you like get invested, like watch the the prime target shows. If you're gonna do nothing else leading up to these takeovers, because that'll get you invested immediately in, in the main event. And these guys prove like they're they're gonna deliver in the ring. Yeah. And again, like I said, I understand that if you don't have the time and if you don't think the show is all that great, like I said, NXT UK Weekly is generally a solid to good show. You'll get some good wrestling and stuff. I enjoy a lot of the guys, but um, like I said, I understand if you don't have the time, but uh, I would definitely watch this. Carve out a couple hours, and uh, you will enjoy yourself. Like I said, the Cesaro match is great. The tag title match is great. And honestly, and I don't throw this label around a lot, but uh, Bait and Volter was, uh, that's like an instant classic territory for me. I'm with you. Like, that's a match I will probably watch after this podcast is over. That's one of those matches. And yeah, it's a long match. It it takes some time. But like, I, 
I don't do star ratings, but I like matches that just like make me feel something. And and this made me feel something, even if it wasn't. I mean, you gave it five stars, so it was obviously a perfect match. But I, I like to reference like Zayn and Nakamura, where um, you know Nakamura's first first WWE NXT match in Dallas, like that match start to finish, like it just all right. Maybe it's not a five star match, but everything about that match clicked with me on on some level and, and bait and, and walter was was the same thing yeah uh, i'm pretty sure i gave uh zane and nakamura five stars i fucking love that match well, that, that was go. that was another match that i thought it had great work great story and an amazing crowd and again we talk about that a lot it's it's just amazing when you have everything clicking in the ring from work to story and then you get that kind of next level crowd reaction to go with it and it just takes it to that next level. So, yeah, I'm with you. Um, uh, well, there you go. Maybe I do know five star matches when I see them. Yeah, and again, too, it's, it's one of those things too. It's like I always talk about because like there, there's people all the time. Like I give something like four and a half. Like, well, that was a five star match to me. Well, that's yeah, it was a five star match to you. That's kind of the point. It's it's a personal rating. My rating is not a fucking gospel, man. I mean, if you think something's five stars, it's five stars. If you think something sucked, it sucked. I mean, that's just kind of how it works, man. Don't, like, apologize. Like, I'm sorry. I disagree with your rating. Don't apologize for that. I mean, just don't be an asshole about it is all I ask. But, I mean, shit, man. If you think something's five stars, like, like I said, it goes back to that last minute standing match. I know a lot of people thought that was great. And, again, that that's really cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it because that's all that really matters at the end of the day. I mean, just fucking enjoy wrestling, man. That's that's the shit. So, um, but yeah, Jeremy. CM Punk said that uh, during his interview. Well then, geez. I guess it's okay <laughs> then. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone looks up to this man from what I've been told. Oh, really? I did not know that. I did, uh, fans are still chanting his name. Years later, when he said, I have no desire to come back to wrestling, Ben's like, ah, we're still going to chant for CM Punk. This man is a hero in this business. Hero to the people, huh? Yeah, the voice of the voiceless. He's telling you, cheer for everybody. CM Punk, he's solved the war. He's ended the war already. Well, goddamn, he's a fucking genius then. (laughs) We can cancel our podcast because of CM Punk. Fuck that. (laughs) So anyway, we will now move on. AEW All Out 2019 from Chicagoland area. Uh, big big crowd again in Chicago. Looked great. They were rowdy most of the time. Uh, fell off a little down the stretch. We'll talk about that later. The buy-in special had two matches. We started with the Women's Casino Battle Royale with the winner earning their way into the first AEW Women's Championship match on AEW TV. We had, uh, let's see, Nyla Rose, Leva Bates, Fabi Apache from Tripway, Priscilla Kelly, and Shonda Royale starting things off. And let's see here. We'll kind of go through who's in it. Then uh, Penelope Ford, Shaza McKenzie, Big Swole Ariel Monroe, Britt Baker, and Sadie Gibbs were then in. And then we had uh, Tennille Dashwood make an appearance, Ivelisse, B. Priestley, Brandy Rhodes, and Awesome Kong. Uh, later on, we're Nicole Savoy, Teal Piper, which is Roddy Piper's daughter, Jazz, ODB, Allie, Owen. And then the wild card entrant uh, was Mercedes Martinez. Uh, first quick takeaway from looking at some of the, the names that were involved, I would love to see uh, Mercedes Martinez, Nicole Savoy, 
Uh, Shaws and McKenzie brought in. I love them all. I think they're really great. I thought Arrow Monroe looked pretty good. I haven't seen a ton of her stuff. Uh, I believe that's Cedric Alexander's wife. I'm, uh, you can clarify if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's good. It is. Yeah, I thought so. Um, yeah, she has a great look. Uh, so you had a lot of talent in there. I think the best part about this Battle Royal was they played off of a lot of the established angles. Like Britt Baker immediately went after B. Presley when she came out for giving her a concussion. Uh, Allie attacked Brandy Rhodes. Uh, little stuff like that I did appreciate. Uh, match went just over 20 minutes, Jeremy. And Nyla Rose, who got to play the monster role... Uh, tossing like 800 people won the match. Um, first off, I appreciate that they're trying to do something different with the battle Royal concept. I'm not a fan of this concept after seeing it twice. Um, you know, bringing in five at a time, you kind of lessen the pop for some people. Like listen to the pop Mercedes Martinez got a, because she was a big surprise and it's like, oh, like you could get that every other entrant or something if you if you have these surprises. But bringing them out five at a time, you just sort of you you take away from people. And I understand you want to speed things up, like, and so you want to do like partial Royal Rumble, partial Battle Royal. So I get it in that sense. But you know, figure out your timing better. You use less people or just have entrances for for the people you want to get a pop for or something because the this I, I just don't like the concept overall uh nyla rose winning after listening to the women of aew panel on starcast i really came around to the idea that nyla rose was was winning this it, it looked like it was going to be Britt baker pretty much since the company was announced she was going to be at least challenging for for the title but you know they nyla said something interesting and brandy backed her of she you know she is um a, a gay wrestler and so they have the opportunity to put the title on a gay wrestler and i think that opportunity was was just they could not pass that up and i'm not saying this is why she she's winning the title because they they saw something clearly in her from the very beginning they put that's why they put her in that triple threat turn fatal four-way that's why she's been on all these shows and she was a part of the the initial press conference like they've always been backing her but that is a very good look for the the company that they can promote and, and let's be honest like they're a wrestling company they're going to promote this stuff any PR in this instance is is good PR when it when it's something like this. WWE does it all the time. Like you'd be kind of foolish as a company not to like push this really hard if you have the opportunity. And this is a, a, a an instance where much like Kofi Kingston, much like uh, the women main eventing WrestleMania, it's not a forced thing. It's it's just happening. You could tell it was going to happen, and it works out well for all involved. Yeah, and uh, the the thing that I'm going to hate about this is I have no problem with it, but you know, it's like you see it all the time when like a TV show or a movie announces that they're going to have an openly gay character, and then you get people going, oh Christ, they're going to push their fucking agenda, and it's just like, who cares? As long as they're not beating me over the head with it, and it's just part of who she is and her character, fine. 
I don't want to hear every five seconds about it. Just do it in a way that makes sense. But I'm just going to hate the fucking immature fan reaction about it. Yeah, you know fans are going to be like, well, you know why they're doing this and everything, right? And I don't think they've even like really mentioned it on on TV or, or these events. And maybe they have. I'm sure they have. But I, the fact that I can't like instantly recall it kind of tells me that they're not mentioning it over and over again. Like They're pushing her as a, a monster, not a, a gay wrestler. And, and so that's great. Like that's what she should be pushed as. That's why I think this whole thing makes sense. And it, it's not some like forced thing. Um, but again, they would be foolish not to say like, hey, we have first gay world champion. And they would be foolish not to push that, at least on social media and in, in, in interviews and stuff. Just don't beat me over the head with it on television, like you said. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of the women's division, uh, during the all-out uh, media scrum, Tony Khan has confirmed that Kylie Ray asked for her release and was granted it. He described the split as amicable, amicable and did not go into any more details. And I guess that ends a lot of the speculation to a point of what happened to her. Yeah, I'm not going to speculate on what's wrong with her. She deleted her Twitter account Earlier this month, I, I wish the best for her, what, whatever it is. Um, I hope she, you know, I, I, I hope she has help with whatever she is going through, and I just hope she is okay. Like it sounds like there's bigger things at work here than than wrestling. So yeah. best of you know best wishes to to Kylie Ray. Yeah, and like you said, I, I hope whatever the problem is, hope everything is okay with her. I uh, I hate to see it because I thought she had a ton of babyface potential for them. But uh, more important that she takes care of whatever is going on and that she's healthy and all that stuff. And that's uh, that's all that really matters. I just uh, I, I hope whatever it is works out because I, I thought she had a lot of potential and kind of I'm kind of sad that I'm not going to get to see her now moving forward, you know. Oh, definitely. She she was another one like you knew who their their people were from the very start. It was, it was Baker, it was Nagla, and it was Kylie. Like those were the three at the press conference. Those were the three in the uh, double or nothing triple threat match so you knew they had plans for for all three of them and it, it is sad that you know whatever happened uh with, with kylie ray is going to to halt that because she 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 was smiley kylie ray like she came on the screen and i was like this person rules i am in a good mood now so i i yeah. wish the best for her and hope everything is well and I'm, I'm with you on the overall gimmick of the casino royale it's um I like the fact that they were trying to do something different. I always appreciate that. I like themes on the um, the Royal Rumble. Like, I love the Aztec Warfare. I like when, you know, Impact has always done, like, Gauntlet for the Gold, to where you do, like, Royal Rumble entrance and then the final two face off in a match. So I'd rather them do something like that to where it's just, like, 10 or 15 people. You can do your entrances. Like you said, everybody gets a reaction then. Because when you're trotting five people out, it's like, Sometimes, like, you don't always hear who all five people are. And the screen doesn't always get them up in a great time for you to jot it down. And then, like, again, like you said, it lessens the general reaction that you get in, like, a gauntlet or Royal Rumble-style match. So, yeah, I would definitely like to see it tweaked. After two of them, I'm not, I'm not a big fan. I thought, like I said, I thought it was solid. I thought the layout was generally good because they played off of the established angles between a few of the women. Um, I thought they booked Rose as a monster really well. I'm not a huge fan of her winning. I, I don't think she's bad, but I don't think she's very good. 
I think one of the big things that hurt the match, though, was, um, and this is something I wrote in my, like, kind of final thoughts thing, is they missed a few things with camera shots again, and uh, they need to clean that up before they hit TV. And it wasn't like it was all show long, but there were a few times where there was a couple things, and I'm like, you got to get that. You know, you got to get that clean. You got to get shots so people know what is going on. And, um, but yeah, that has to be locked in better for TV. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. There was some, some missed stuff here in, in a big way. And it, it happens. It's going to continue to happen. It's certainly something you would, you would like to clean up. But in Battle Royals, it's tough. And, and I'm with you on, you know, the, the five at a time thing. Like, the announcer, it sounded at one point like Justin Roberts wasn't sure who the hell was coming down. Um, and then, like, you see them on a quick entrance, and that's when you miss stuff in the ring. So you, you've got to, and you've got to hold on the entrances longer because you have people coming out and stuff. Like, they missed the the Joker entrance. Like, the the when Mercedes Martinez came out, the camera should have been right there before she she stepped through onto the stage because you could hear the reaction and you're like oh shit okay who is it like the camera should have been on her almost immediately um a, a not a, not almost immediately like it should have been on her before she even stepped out onto the stage i don't know if they're gonna really do this thing again maybe they will just to get more people on these shows but i get why they did it at double or nothing in here because you had a lot of wrestlers. You're trying to uh, have somebody for the uh, first world title matches, and, and so this was your your way to do it. Like you no longer have that issue unless you introduce a, a secondary title, and then we don't mean to see this gimmick again. Like to if for a secondary title, do something else. Uh, so I don't know if they're gonna like really continue this casino battle royal thing. Yeah, I, I kind of hope they don't. I, if they do, you need to tweak it and do some other stuff to it. It's just, um, and don't be afraid of like doing some things that are kind of already done. Again, I, I appreciate the fact that you're trying to do something different, but you also have to take stock in to see if it's really working or not. And I don't think it really is. I don't think that the matches have been bad. They've been okay. But again, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for a little more than okay. So. Um, we continue on with the buy-in. Jeremy Private Party defeated Jack Evans and Angelico 11 and a half minutes. Um, in my opinion, I thought it was exactly what it needed to be. A really good sprint. Private Party got the win. Uh, they continue to get over. The crowd loves them. And they're going to be a really good babyface act. I'm already all about Private Party. I think they're, they're a great moves team. Um, and I don't mean that in a, a disparaging way uh, because... That's what, you know, the, the Young Bucks were a great moves team, and then they became better tag team wrestlers. So uh, I'm sure Private Party see, or the Young Bucks see a lot in Private Party. That's probably why they want to wrestle them uh, on the first show or the, the first tournament match, and will probably want to keep on wrestling them. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of Private Party. Their, their moves look, you know, they chain things together really well. I think it was Marquand who hit that shooting star uh, press which was the most gorgeous shooting star press i've ever seen oh it was pretty dude yeah these, these guys are they're good and, and i'm into them they didn't kick out of too much they kicked out of maybe a little bit but but it wasn't overdone for me and i'm i'm in on private party they're awesome 
Yeah, I mean, there were some there were some kickouts that uh, I know some people probably won't like, but it wasn't over the top with it. And like you said in the preview, um, with it being the pre-show match, it's okay for it to be really good and have a lot of fun shit, but you don't want to go overboard before the main card even starts. Uh, so Private Party picks up the big win heading into their tag team tournament match with the Young Bucks. And post-match, Evans and Angelico are officially heels now because they attacked Private Party and tried to take out the uh, the knee of uh, Young Quinn there. And um, I like that they did the heel turn to establish some more dynamics in the division. Agreed. I, you know, it felt almost a little bit like, all right, let's get the heat back type of thing, but... You do need you do need to draw some lines with who people are supposed to cheer for with heels and faces uh, in all divisions, not just the tag team division. But the tag team division is certainly one that that could use the help because really the only heel team you have is I guess Dark Order, and they're only a heel team because fans just don't like the gimmick. Yeah. But uh, and I think the heel turn made sense too because they just lost again. That was their third loss in a row, and they're they're fucking pissed. You know, they should be. Well, they should they should get into the gym instead of you know being salty losers. Yeah. So um, <laughs> and then we got a a really well done uh, almost lucha underground like video package for a dude named Wardlow, who was wrecking fools in a street fight. Looked like a big jacked up dude, and um. I've never seen this dude, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what we get with him. I don't know who this guy is. I thought the video package was great. I thought uh, the entire pre-show was really good. Like This was the first pre-show where you got some good matches, you had a match with some stakes in it with the Casino Battle Royale, and you did video package stuff. You introduced Wardlow. You you did a big video package on Jericho and Hangman, which is your main event. So that's what you should be doing. Uh, and then you you had you gave the announcers five minutes to like run down the whole card and, and really sell you. I would have liked to see, you know, a backstage promo. I think MJF had one, uh, which was good. Always give that guy mic time. I, but I would have liked to see maybe another video package, maybe another backstage promo thrown in there but overall this was certainly their their best um pre-show where you know i didn't get any librarians bullshit outside of the battle royale which was actually a, a cool spot and, and it didn't last long either because leave a baby yeah. was eliminated early so yeah exactly so they did a cool spot and then they got the fuck out of there and, and you know you sold me or you tried to sell me i was already buying it but you you sold people on this show so i good job on the the pre-show here you spoke about the announcers getting like five minutes for like the final hard sell, and I agree that was a good thing. But I also thought that that was like the best on camera they've done, like shooting to them for an extended amount of time on camera. Uh, I thought Golden Boy did really good. Jim Ross in that go home pay per view sell role was always good, and uh, Excalibur was great all night long. I would have liked to see some graphics for that. Like they did it in the opening, they ran down the card, and then they had the graphics. Like instead, they just kept shooting to the crowd and it's like okay i get the crowd is full i get the worst thing that ever happened to professional wrestling is not joey ryan's dick it, it's ms girl because they they cut to this lady and you know she's got her angry face on and ever since then they've been trying to find the angry ms girl every single time they go for a reaction shot and they did it once with undertaker guy and and that's it and but every company wants to do this now with let's cut to the crowd reaction here and try to you know trend with a facial expression 
stupid. Yeah, it's um, excuse me, it is really weird. So, paper started off, we got the national anthem, and then SCU arrived. And Jeremy, I don't know if you know this, but this was in fact the worst town they have ever been in. They, well, they they were back. They didn't like it last year either. That's right. So they kicked off the show facing the uh, newly named Jurassic Express, which is Jungle Boy, Marco Stunt, and the fucking Luchasaurus, who's awesome. Love the Luchasaurus. Uh, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, SCU ended up defeating the Jurassic Express. Uh, 11 minutes, 50 seconds via pin. I go to you for your thoughts first. SEU is perfect as your opening act. Um, they come out, the crowd's into their, their pre-match promo and the whole, you know, singing SEU and doing the worst town thing. And then there, there are three veterans who can really wrestle any style. And we've seen that now with with uh, the, the matches they've been in. And, and most of AEW's roster is on the fairly athletic side. So, But SEU, even Christopher Daniels can like keep up with these guys um so it's just tough for and they've been together for so long they've got plenty of chemistry it's just tough for them to have a bad match the crowd's always going to be into it it's perfect luchasaurus uh and marco stunt and jungle boy i don't or jungle jack perry i guess he is now according to to jim ross i don't know if they're they're dinosaur express or if they're a boy, another boy, and his dinosaur, because they, they, the graphics team and Justin Roberts were not on the same page with that. Either way, great six-man match. Yeah, Luchasaurus is awesome. My only complaint about this, and, and this is completely just me watching too much reality TV, he was on Big Brother 17, yep. which was, yeah, and he cheated on his girlfriend, and Zingbot, uh, you know, the, the girl on the show's name was, was Liz, and Zingbot is like, well, which member of Austin's family are you looking forward to to meeting the most? His mom, his dad, or his girlfriend? And he looked like he was about to cry and break down right then and there. And I cannot like get that memory out of my head when I see him. That was a pretty fucking great moment, though. I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I um, I know why they can't use it. But I, I, I was calling them Land of the Lost before they got a name. But obviously, that's going to be like copyright issues. So I get that. But uh, no, I mean, I, I like that trio. Um, I thought it was a very good opener. Uh, like we said, they didn't go too crazy, but everybody got time to shine. Everything they did was over. Crowd was great for this. SCU and the role of the veterans that can work with anybody and that are constantly over plays just extremely well in an opening match setting. Because they're not going to fuck up. They're going to work great. They're going to make everybody look good. Crowd is into it. Uh, Jurassic Express or whatever the hell they're going to be called. I think they're a great act. I think they have a ton of merchandising possibilities as well. Uh, I thought Luchasaurus ruled in this match. He was really great and um, just a lot of fun too. Yeah, it was good way to to open the show. Uh, Jr.'s starting of we'll we'll talk about him. Yeah, Jr. was really <laughs> weird tonight. Uh, he has some hangups, and his hangup in this one was was the referee and uh, the referee just burying the referee for just missing everything. See, this is like shit he would do during New Japan commentary too that yeah. bothered the fuck out of me. It's like, listen, man, I, I get that you're an old man fucking set in your ways. And I get that you were regarded at one point as like the greatest announcer in wrestling history, which I was on that bandwagon. 
But your fucking job is to sell what's going on in the ring. Not bitch about whatever your hang-up is. Not fucking bitch during the Cracker Barrel clash about the stupid shit you think guys are doing. (laughs) Or talking about the fried chicken you want. Oh, I know. Jesus Christ. (laughs) He said something later on about, um... Oh, what the fuck was it? Uh, It was something like... uh, Oh, God damn. Oh, he said something about Johnny Walker, and I'm like, yeah, I'm sure he was real familiar with that before the match. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, I don't know. Fucking, like, you go back to, like, the last pay-per-view, like, he was spectacular during the Cody Dustin match because that is in his wheelhouse, okay? I think that there are certain matches, though, that he shouldn't be commentating on, like the Cracker Barrel Classic or match where guys, quote-unquote, do stupid things because all he's going to do is fucking bury it. And that's not his job. Put the match over. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, you talk about guys, quote unquote, doing stupid shit. Go back to all the goddamn TLC matches he called. You had Jim Ross calling those today, and he's just like, God damn, these kids are stupid. It's like, fuck off, man. But yeah, that annoyed the shit out of me. Uh, I have more complaints when we get to a, a different match. But, yeah, he wasn't good in this match. <clears throat> awesome. Next up, uh, super early in the show, which was surprising, was Kenny Omega versus Pac. Or Pac, actually, apparently, is the, pr- the correct pronunciation now, uh, according to the English folk on Twitter. Uh, apparently, it's Pac, and Pac has been laughing for years that people call him Pac, so it's Pac. Anyway, uh, Pac ended it's up... It's still Pac. Yeah, whatever. Anyway... Fuck he... what you want, bastard. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, he defeated Kenny Omega. Uh, 23 minutes and 30 seconds via referee stoppage using his Brutalizer submission. Uh, I thought it was a great match. thought the layout was really good. Had a strong home stretch. Was surprised that Pac won. I really did love that finish, though. Um, I like referee stoppages and stuff like that. I think they can be used really well. I thought it came off really well, and it looks like I guess we're going to build to a Kenny Omega redemption arc since he failed against Jericho, and now he failed here. And I would assume with the win that uh, that Pack is in for the long haul. I need Kenny Omega coming out with like a Kota Ibushi doll or something. I, I need Emo Omega, like we got Emo Okada after he lost the title. Uh, dye your hair, come out with a balloon, uh, you know, come out with... with Koda's face to uh, paste it onto it. Yeah, yeah. Come out with a video game controller or something. Like, don't you know, straighten your hair, maybe. Like, you're just <laughs> like, eh. Too, too bored or too, like, don't care enough to even, like, curl it or I don't know. Uh, I, I, but I, I need, I need Emo Omega here if they're gonna, they're gonna do this. They've really been pushing that too, and I haven't bought it of like, oh, he's in a funk and everything. It's like, all right, he's, you know, he's one and one in singles matches, but this loss does kind of hammers that point home a little bit more. They tried to do the whole, always oh, thinking about Moxley type thing, and it, that makes sense. On, on some level, because, I mean, we've watched enough UFC. Guys get guys pull out of fights, and then the guy taking the fight on short notice might end up winning because it's a completely opponent change, especially you can sell Pac as being on uh, the level of a, of a John Moxley. As far as the match goes, very good. It was always going to be very good. It's tough for these two to have a bad match. thought they left 
something on the table here and I'm not I'm not even mad at that because it just means great do it again and, and have an even better match love the finish I'm with you love stop of it stoppage finishes uh, so I thought that was really good they've got my only big complaint is they got to push that railing back or they got to do those spots uh, the entrance way because uh, someone's going to snap an ankle or some shit on, on the railing there. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I, I get what they were going for because a lot of dives seem really contrived when they're always at the entrance. So I get what they were doing with that. But this was a problem with TNA back in the early days at the Impact Zone. Like AJ would be fucking hitting moonsaults to the floor or topes and shit and always hitting his goddamn legs. And I was always afraid he was going to break a leg. And thank God he never did. But yeah, they need to move those guardrails back a good five feet at least. Um, yeah, I don't need to see guys breaking a leg because uh, Kenny hit a tope and hit his ankle. Pac then did a, uh, a moonsault. I'm going to end up calling him Pac all the time. I don't care. He ended up doing a, a big moonsault to the floor and hit both of his goddamn ankles off the thing. And thankfully, it appears nobody got badly hurt because they carried on. But uh, yeah, yeah, you need to you need to fix that if you're gonna have guys doing that stuff. And it's not that they shouldn't be doing this stuff. It's just like, you know, if you want to have a little bit of safety in mind, we don't need snapped legs on pay per view or TV. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not saying don't do this stuff. I'm saying make it eliminate part of the unnecessary risk because guys bashing their legs against the the railings is just all right. It. I guess it adds to the effect, but like that, that shit's going to hurt. And if you're, you're doing it every week or even every pay-per-view, like it adds up, it takes a toll. And, and as we said, at one point it could be really bad. I I've seen enough hockey to where guys go crashing into the goalposts and those goalposts have a lot of give. Like they, they come out of the ice and they move guys still snap legs on those goalposts. Yeah. And all you have to do is look back at ROH. That's how, um, TKO Ryan broke his leg. There you he go. fucking hit his leg off barricade, man, and that took him out for like nine months or whatever, or however long he was out. So it's yeah, I mean that's a it's a real thing, and I know some people were to say like we're not nitpicking the match, we're just saying that like for safety reasons we don't want to see anybody get hurt. Back him up a little bit. That's all. Exactly. Uh, we moved on. We had the the Cracker Barrel Clash, sponsored by Cracker Barrel and their delicious fried chicken, according to Jim Ross all match long. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Havoc defeated Joey Janela and Darby Allen in 15 minutes uh, or just over 15 minutes this is a match that people are really going to love or really really hate because it was 15 minutes of exactly what you would expect from these three it was wild and crazy they were trying to kill each other there was tons of plunder there were table spots there were thumbtacks there were thumbtacks on the bottom of a skateboard that Darby Allen used they that was awesome yeah they uh they destroyed cracker barrels quite literally that were there and um yeah so i mean um i mean i thought it was good for what it was i'm not super into a lot of these matches i mean i think they have to be really really good for me to like really really love and appreciate them I mean, I thought it was good, though. The crowd was into it. They seemed to really enjoy it, which is the important thing. Uh, Jimmy Havoc picked up a win that he needed. And, um, yeah, the uh, Cracker Barrel Clash, sponsored by Jim Ross's Love of Fried Chicken. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's it's definitely a match that's going to divide the timeline. It's not my cup of tea. It's not something I want to see all the time, even though I watch GCW shows. I, but 
uh, light tubes are a big thing where I just no get that get that shit out of here. Um, and a lot of these matches are you know set up the spot, do the spot, and then kind of move on, and that stuff can drag. Th- this match didn't feel like that. It, it moved at a quick enough pace where I didn't feel like all right, you can tell what we're setting up here, and now we just everybody stand around and, and catch this guy. Um, so it's not my typical cup of tea but at the same time i i did like this match because it did have a good pace to it there there was enough just kind of quick spot quick spot not a whole lot of standing around darby allen is going to die in the next year if he keeps doing this stuff uh, i know you try to make it as safe as possible this man looks like he just kills himself every single time he takes a bump and he's he's a great bumper i will give him that but he takes some insane fucking bumps and I just don't know how much, how much he has in him. Jimmy Havoc winning. I did like this, the tax skateboard spot though. That was awesome. Yeah. Jimmy Havoc winning weird call because, you know, Janela certainly looks like a big star. Uh, Alan did the, did the draw with Cody. So you feel like they have something in mind for him. Jimmy Havoc's just kind of, like a guy, and he's not bad. He cuts a good promo. My issue with Jimmy Havoc is, like, this is his wrestling style. Darby Allen proved that he doesn't need to do all this crazy stuff to have a great match. Like he did that against Cody. There was no plunder and stuff. Joey Janela has has done that many times, where he can just have a a you know a, a good match without all the the shenanigans, even though it adds to it. Jimmy Havoc, this is kind of his his thing, like blood and a lot of uh, different gimmicks and stuff like that's what he does i don't know how that plays on television like jimmy havoc almost feels like a guy who the story can hopefully be there and and because of his promo work and stuff how are you going to put this guy in a wrestling match on tv and like expect it to work as like a a regular wrestling match because i don't think it is but at the same time I don't know if you're going to be using staple guns and tacks and, and paper cuts on, on television. So weird call. We'll see where it goes with it. My, one of my big takeaways from this is I really hope that they don't pigeonhole Darby Allen into these kind of matches. Cause you brought up the Cody match, but, and I know a lot of people don't watch evolve, but I watched Darby Allen grow into a really good professional wrestler from just a bump machine early on. And he ended up working some really great to excellent matches with like Matt Riddle and Zack Sabre Jr. And like the Zack Sabre Jr., I mean, you're not going to get all this stupid shit in a Zack Sabre Jr. match. I mean, that was a fucking no, professional Zach wrestling Jr. match. Zack Sabre Jr. is a, yeah, he's a professional. He ain't got time for this staple gun bullshit. Yeah, so I mean, Darby Allen can do that, and we saw a lot of that against Cody. So I hope he doesn't get pigeonholed in. I mean, he's always going to do like big bumps, but I don't want him constantly pigeonholed into garbage matches. Because like you said, that's that's kind of what Jimmy Havoc is. That's kind of his ceiling. I've never really seen a a really good Jimmy Havoc regular wrestling match. I'm sure somebody can tell me if they exist, and I'm sure they do. But I've never really seen it. I've seen a lot of Jimmy Havoc, Pyro, and Ballyhoo wrestler. So, yeah, I in Jim Ross, I actually like Jim Ross in this match because he didn't sugarcoat that he was over it. Like when uh, I think Darby did the um, uh, the coffin drop with the with the barrel and he missed and Ross was just like, well, why the hell would you do that? 
I cracked up so hard, and I was just like, yeah, why the hell would you do that? I I like Jim Ross. He, it's not a good look for the matches. I totally get that. I I find him more tolerable here than when he's like outright burying, you know, how the referee is acting or how pinfalls are made and stuff. Like I thought it was just way more tolerable and just being like a lot of this shit is stupid cuz let's be honest, a lot of the shit they did is stupid. Yeah. No, I did laugh at that one at least. I mean, that wasn't like burying the match. That's like a legit human emotion. Like, why the fuck would you do that? I mean, it does seem really stupid. Although the crackle barrel um, totally exploding on the steps did look great. It looked awesome. Really awesome. So, But yeah, I mean, um, if you're into this um, kind of thing, you probably absolutely loved it. No, a lot of people probably didn't. And again, that's fine. It's it's personal tasting. It's not my favorite thing. Thought it was good for what it was, but again, more importantly, live crowd really, really liked it. So Yeah. Moving on for a first round in the AEW tag title tournament. The Dark Order defeated the best friends in just under fourteen minutes via pin. I thought they had a good match. It had a nice layout. The problem is that the crowd is not into this Dark Order gimmick at all. They continue to underwhelm in terms of crowd reaction. They are a great team. And I've watched a ton of great matches with them. But this gimmick just... It feels like death. I don't think it's connecting at all. And, like, I know they're heels. But the, the fucking finish just came off so flat because... It breaks down at the end, the Creepers attacked, and then back in Dark Order hit their finish, and that was that. It's not a good gimmick. It's it's not working. I I said it on the preview. I don't hate the gimmick. I think they can do some cool stuff with it. I don't think they've done that. And and so like that's sort of the issue. Like I would like to see them kind of like go darker, honestly. And and maybe but the problem, you know what the gimmick kind of feels like right now, and this is the the worst possible thing I could say because it's not even like a, a main event act. It's literally a tag team act. It's like Dungeon of Doom right now, and I mean Dungeon of Doom was was part of the the greatest match of all time, but that that's the kind of level that it feels like right now. And I do think there was potential. With that, they just made it hokey. And that's sort of what I feel like is happening here. There's potential. It just comes off hokey. Yeah. What's also really weird is like they're the Dark Order and they have all these creeper minions. And it's like you have this dude in a mask and he's evil Uno. And his tag team partner is Stu. (laughs) It's like what? This is one of those times where I wish they would have WWE it and just called him like Grayson. Because yeah, at least but, then you can like be like it's like Dick Grayson from the comics or some shit. But it's just like his name is Stu. Evil Uno, the Creepers, and Stuart. <laughs> it's like, it just comes off so weird. But yeah, they need to they need to retool this. I don't know if they need to get darker, but they need to get something into this. They need to make people care because right now, unfortunately, great tag team, dead act. Just murder the librarians. That turn them face, but I, I just, am all for this. Just murder the librarians. So, so post match, the Dark Order attacks because they're a bunch of assholes, 
and the lights went out, Jeremy. And who is there to make the save when they come back on? But your personal hero, yeah. Orange Cassidy. The fucking man, Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy standing there with his hands in his pockets. Hits a fucking suicide dive with his hands in his pockets. Pops up <laughs> on his feet. Slides back in the ring with his hands in his pockets. And then the best friends hug him. And it's like, I will give Excalibur credit. At least he explained that he is a training partner of Chucky e. T. Um, but yeah, it was, um, and God, I know a lot of people hate Orange Cassidy because they're communists, but, um, I just, I, I, th- I mean, listen, it's fine. If you don't like him again, it's all personal preference. You're but an the, idiot. The lights went, the lights went out and then the lights came on and everybody saw it was Orange Cassidy. Dude, got a pop. He got the biggest pop in this match. <laughs> well, that wasn't hard. It was, you know. He got the biggest pop in, in this match or the next match. Yeah, yeah, that that is fair. But uh, Orange yeah, Cassidy it's... rules. Anyone who hates him, I, I get it as well. But uh, he's awesome. The one thing I don't want, first off, you can tell Jr. is like over it. He's like, hey, it's very blase law or whatever he said, laissez affair, and uh, you can tell is like this fucking guy. Uh, I don't want them to, and I think it was Excalibur. It was like, well, Orange can go. Orange can go. Like, he's actually a really great wrestler. Like, don't don't hit me over the head with that. Like, all right, if you've seen him, you know he's more than just Mr. Laidback, cool guy, Ryan Gosling. Uh, but I don't need you to, like, try to justify uh, this signing by being like, he's a great wrestler. He's a great wrestler. Like, just just let me watch the guy do his his. his gimmick and i will make the determination that he's a great wrestler uh put put the tag team titles on orange and his orange juice cowards that's right cowards damn them bucks are gonna take the belts for themselves instead of putting over the real stars like orange cassidy that's right and the orange juice although i didn't pull it out here but should have it'll it'll come so next up um, was for a shot against uh, Nyla Rose for the AEW Women's Championship. Riho defeated Hikaru Shida, my future ex-wife, in 13 minutes, 40 seconds. First of all, let me get the negative out of the way. The one real negative I had with this match is this. You do a casino battle royal with 21 women to crown part of the first match, right? Why exactly, and they never really gave me a good reason, but why were these two the ones picked to get the easy way out and only have to have a one-on-one match to get into that title match? They drew straws. I mean, I I know Riho has wins and everything, but it's just like, I would have liked a little more in-depth explanation there. So that is my only real criticism. Um, Optically, um, the size difference played really well here because... Um, Ikaru Shida looks like a giant against Riho because she's like 98 pounds plus Shida's taller than her so that easily positioned Riho in the, the babyface role and it allowed Shida to basically work as a heel without being a heavy handed heel she was just more the bully uh, I thought it was really good thought it had a great pace good back and forth action and uh, w- once Nyla Rose won that uh, battle royal at the beginning I realized my Hikaru Shida pick was wrong because Riho winning made the most sense, not only for the David and Goliath story, but also because Riho pinned her early in the AEW run. This is where I said on the preview, like I haven't had a reason to care about the women's division so far. 
the, like the most I know about the division is, is Brick Baker as a dentist. Um, they did again, going back to the women of AEW panel. I, the one thing I didn't like about that panel is they got too much into like character and I was like, Oh, I'm going to beat you in the battle. Royale. You better watch your back and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you failed to build this up so much that you're basically using this stage show instead of talking about actual important topics to, to build your little battle Royal match. Like do that on your, your shows. Um, you know, because don't, don't take this time to do it. So I didn't like that from the stage show and it showed that they just haven't, at least to me, haven't put much thought into it. And I think the, the Riho and Kirishita kind of shows that as well. It's like, why is it these two? Your winners coming out of shows is is Riho. Uh, you know, she she won the the singles match at, at Fighter Fest, uh, and and Britt Baker or she won the triple threat at Fighters Fest. Britt Baker won the the Fatal Four Way at Double or Nothing. Like those are your two big women's wins. But then in Fight for the Fallen, they team and they lose. If you had a little bit of sense of foresight here, Baker wins at Double or Nothing. Riho wins at, at Fighter Fest. They team at Fight for the Fallen. They win, and it's like, hey. These ladies have won. Let's put them on this main show. Winner gets the the title shot, and then you you do the casino battle royal. You still have Nala Rose win. You could still have Riho go over Britt Baker. Like Baker would have had two wins, a, a loss, and a singles match to to Riho for a shot at the women's title. Is it gonna like kill her dead or anything? Kenny Omega is already dead in this company, so Britt Baker will be fine. Like that, it's just something that. You know, they, they couldn't see that. They couldn't think of that. So I'm with you. The, they added this stake that was fine. It made it feel a little bit more important. But the fact that there was no setup to the match didn't make it feel all that important. Uh, the match was good. Crowd didn't care for the majority of it. Uh, the the work was fine, though. Both ladies worked hard. I the, the, thing, the other thing that annoyed me was Jim Ross and his fucking... Should have hooked the leg there. You can't make that kind of cover. You got to put your body weight on like this time. Like, if he is going to criticize every single kickout, it's going to be some long, long matches because everyone kicks out of everything nowadays. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's a uh, Jim Ross gets his weird little hang-ups on certain things, and then he just harps on it the whole match. So. Uh, we went backstage and uh, we had a total geek moment. And I say that in a loving manner because I love Star Trek. Brandy Rhodes was dressed as 7 and 9 from Star Trek Voyager. And then she was joined by DDP in Starfleet Red and MJF wearing the gold. And uh, they were with uh, the dog as well. And they came out uh, with Cody at first. And then obviously uh, Cody was only allowed to have one person due to the contract stipulation. So he picked MJF. Tully Blanchard, of course, is out with Sean Spears. For the big grudge match, Jeremy, uh, I thought uh, I like the start of this. Cody immediately hits suicide dive. They brawl, takes out Tully, uh, set the stage really good because obviously you had this whole thing. It's personal. Sean Spears is offended. He lays out Cody with a chair. You can't st- start off with a fucking like crisp lockup. You right. know, I, I hate that. You-, you had to set this off well or start it off well when they did that. Uh, I liked a lot of what they did here really well. They had a great story heading into it. thought they played off it well. I think Cody is actually much better in the babyface role where he's been right now. I thought Spears did really well as a heel. 
Uh, I thought the match layout was strong. I thought all the Tully stuff worked. I thought there was some really small hints and teases that MJF may turn. Like they kept harping on him accidentally taking the ref and distracting him and stuff like that. So it breaks down at one point. Tully and MJF hit the ring. They're gonna they're gonna fight, but Spears takes MJF out. They go to the floor and then Arn Anderson arrives, Jeremy. Arn slides in the ring, fucking hits a spine buster on Sean Spears to like the biggest pop of the night. It was great. And then Arn left. Tully followed him to the back he was shocked. He was like, what the fuck are you doing? Spears got the chair, teased using it. Cody then te- uh, teased using it. Um, then it ended up Cody hit a chair-assisted uh, disaster kick and crossroads to finish it in just over 19 minutes. I thought it was really good. I thought the story was well done. I don't know if it was a home run performance maybe that Spears needed, but I think it showed a lot of potential in what he could be, but I didn't like him losing here. I didn't think this did Sean Spears any favors. Um, that His performance was fine, but by the end of it, he was the fifth guy, I remember. The sixth. He was the sixth guy, I remember. Uh, Pharaoh tops him. I felt so bad for that dog, <laughs> putting him that close to the pyro. And then, you know, Cody's like calling him, come on. Brandy's trying to like get him to go out there. And the dog is like, y'all fuck right off. Like there's explosives two feet away from me. I am running away from this shit. Uh, so not a good call there. But, you know, I remember that over anything Sean Spears did. I, then there, there's Cody, MJF, Tully, and Arn. Like I thought all of them came off as a bigger deal than Sean Spears. And in the end, he lost. So I don't have a reason to care about this guy. It, it's my my same complaint that I had coming into it is it just feels like a WWE guy. Like they're doing the story because the, the story is there. But Spears doesn't come off as like an actual star. And, and losing here, again, didn't do him any favors. On the contrary, Cody, we, we've talked about this guy plenty in our, our podcast and we, we've talked about him not even on our podcast just when we've been hanging out like cody's roh and new japan run both of us were like it was fine but it was also a lot of times like like you said it, he brings a circus to town and to me like a lot of times he would come off as just like play wrestler he's like oh i gotta be over the top with my mannerisms because that's what the wrestling fans want so like i'm gonna play wrestler here but i'm not actually a wrestler his aew run he feels so locked in. Like I don't feel like he's playing wrestling anymore. I, I feel like he's out there. He knows who he is. He's very confident in everything that he he does, and he comes off like such a a big star, and he carries himself very well. Like I I've been really impressed with with Cody and everything he's done with with AEW. Like when he he took the belt to the back. And uh, then he fired up and he took one right in the, the chest and the face. And then he just fucking kicked Sean Spears in the face. I'm like, yeah, fucking Cody. I never thought I'd see this out of you. So big fan of what Cody is doing. Like the stuff with MJF. He was a star immediately with the Diamond Dallas Page teases. and be like the Diamond Upside Down is a pussy stuff. Like get out of here. And Tully was great. The pop Arn got was great. I don't know why Tully left. I get, okay, wanted to see what's going on. But then he went through the wrong entrance ramp that Arn went to, so he made his journey tougher. That was weird to me. Otherwise, 
good match. Uh, maybe really good. I, I thought it was just kind of good, um, overbooked, but with a purpose. And the, my biggest complaint, and I'm not even sure if it's a complaint, it's just it is what it is. Sean Spears did, did not really – this was his chance, as we talked about, and not, not, not a good look for him. Yeah, the loss really hurts. I don't, I don't understand why they had him lose right now. I, I just, I, I thought that was kind of the wrong call, but um, we'll see what happens. Maybe, and this is what I, I think people are almost missing. And I'm not saying this is specific to you. Maybe Sean Spears like just is a mid card guy. That's just who he is. I mean, that's who Cody said he is. He's a solid hand. Like that's just who this guy is and they're not going to try to force him to be anything more. That's fair. But I, I don't think that you're going to like anoint him as like a super main event talent just because he beat Cody. So I, but yeah, it's, um, I, I do think you're right. I thought his performance was really good, but I do agree that he did not come off nearly as important as he should have. He did kind of fall behind everybody else. Um, and, uh, post-match they did a, a, a nice tease where MJF slid in with the chair and I think everybody was waiting for that heel turn. Yeah. And he just, you know, gave it to Cody and they, they were, they were best friends and everything's okay for now. Yeah. Everyone was waiting for the heel turn and they, MJF is really good at subtly playing it. I'm glad they didn't do it here. Like let this thing Give, give it some time. There's a lot of mileage in the, the Cody and MJF friendship that I don't think they've even gotten into. And, you know, it, it definitely hasn't been exposed to the audience that they're going to have on TNT. It's just been sort of on television, uh, definitely on or sort of on the pay-per-views, definitely on the, the social media stuff. Um, but th- there's a there's a longer story there to where you don't need to burn it right away so let let that play i i had no problem with that and if you're going to keep doing the the subtle stuff even better yeah no i completely agree with that there there was no no need to do that because i mean you had cody vanquish his his foe which that's the story and that's fine whatever i i don't know if it was the right call but we'll see what happens but the little teases and commentary constantly mentioning that he was quote-unquote accidentally you know like distracting the ref and hurting cody inadvertently and then when he gets in with the chair, like people are waiting for it. So yeah, that's a story that you can play out for a while. No need to give it away here. Because again, you have weekly TV you need to book. You need stories for that. You need angles. And this is something, like you said, could possibly play out for a long time. And depending on what happens, I mean, that's a really good story. Because I like what they've done so far with that. Yeah, and you know Cody and Jericho is... I mean, they've been teasing that feud since everything started when Jericho first wanted his apology and he burst into Cody's office and stuff. And now, based on winners and losers tonight, that would be a a natural direction to go. You can keep doing those teases because you add MJF to that dynamic and it's like, there's a lot of MJF in in Chris Jericho. And it's like, yeah, even if, again, if he doesn't turn, even better. Slow play it a little bit, but you can keep doing those subtle teases uh, with, with MJF and Chris Jericho and Cody, if that's the direction they go. Yeah, agreed. So uh, I'm going to be interested to see what happens. Obviously, MJF has a ton of potential. Dude cuts a hell of a promo. I, I, the best part about his promo stuff is he is such an asshole, but he also just looks like such a douchebag when he's saying it. Like, yeah. You want to punch him in the face. 
And that is, I mean that as a compliment, you know, so easy to hate. But yeah, um, we'll see what happens going forward with TV. It can probably play out for a long time and, uh, you know, probably be a good feud for him eventually with Cody. You know, get him on the map and everything. Because there are a lot of people like, oh, MJF, I know MJF, I love MJF, he's great. But a lot of people don't. You know, I mean, I like MLW. MLW has a good TV show. They run on BN Sports, though. They don't have the biggest uh, TV penetration. They don't get the biggest viewership. So not everybody has seen that. Not everybody watches the indies. So a lot of people do not know MJF. So we're going to be introducing him and a lot of other people to new audience. So see how that plays out. Moving on, Jeremy. Escalar de la Muerte. The Lucha Brothers defending the AAA Tag Team titles against the Young Bucks in our ladder match of death. The Lucha Bros ended up defeating the Young Bucks as we predicted. 24 minutes and 12 seconds. I thought this was absolutely fucking excellent. Crazy ladder match. It was everything I wanted. Great pacing, great spots. They had a great ending. And more importantly, it didn't go too long. They got plenty of time. But there's a lot of times you see these matches and they do like this Big, 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 holy shit spot like they did here. They did the the double stomp uh, power driver combo onto a ladder bridge. And then like a lot of time you'll see a match like, we're going to go five more minutes now. Instead, that was the end. The Lucha Bros climbed the ladder. They retained their championships. Thought this absolutely deliberate. I thought it was the best match on the show. Now for me, the important thing is, is you need to keep these two teams away from each other for a while because while they've had great to excellent matches... We've already seen it now three times, you know, multiple times, two two straight-up matches, the trios match, plus they face in AAA if you've watched that. They need some space now, and they need to let it breathe. Yeah, I think Jim Ross said it was like the fifth time, maybe the sixth time. Or fifth time in 2019, yeah. Yeah, so that's, I mean, I realize we're eight, almost nine months into the year. That's still a lot, considering that, uh, they, they haven't been like that many AEW shows. There's only been four. And, you know, they faced each other five times. Uh, in, and I know they've, they've wrestled elsewhere, and, and that's part of the thing, but it just goes to show. They, they've wrestled each other a lot. I like the match. It got almost scary territory for me at the end, um, especially the, 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 the bump Nick took to the outside where his, his feet got caught up. And he went crashing through the table. That looked just really fucking bad. And I, I hope that guy is okay. I, I'm assuming he is. Nothing's come out otherwise. Just some of, some of the bumps uh, were were absolutely nuts. And I understand it's a ladder match. You got to do that stuff, or you feel like you got to do that stuff. Um, but it, once that bump, and it did go home shortly after that, so at least I didn't go too much crazier after that but they still went a little crazy um it it was still good it was a good car crash i I don't think i enjoyed it quite as much as you did but i think again part of that was just by the end of it i I was just fearing for the safety of these four guys and i know like they're they're protective and everything but they're also just kind of a little nutso and uh still good lucha brothers winning made sense and you know yeah keep keep them away from each other yeah and then we had the big post-match angle where two masked men attacked. They beat everybody up. And then you knew instantly who they were if you didn't because they hit the street sweeper, which means it was Santana and Ortiz, the artist formerly known as LAX, apparently going by the Berwiquas, 
here in uh, AEW. So uh, the move to AEW, obviously official now. Uh, obviously a great get for their tag team division, which is really loaded already. And uh, I'm excited for that. I thought it was Bodie and Roach. It looked that way. I thought Point Break invaded for a moment with the uh, masks there. but Yeah. I, I did not think it was Santana and Ortiz. I thought it was Bodie and Roach. Um, but cool that it was Santana and Ortiz. Love the post-match angle. I like that they, they came out in these masks because it was very Point Break, and I fucking love that movie. So I'm, I'm all for any any Point Break references. Um, good, you know, Big get for, for AEW, obviously. Their, their tag team division looks even better with, with these guys there. Them uh, attacking the Young Bucks like that really makes me believe that, okay, they're aligning themselves with, with Jericho for that first show. They're going to be uh, the mystery partners who, I guess, are, are no longer like the big mystery surprise. But and, and it could be wrong. It could be a completely different tag team. But the, the fact that they kind of went after the Young Bucks there would seem to, to set that off and, and kind of put that feud in motion a little bit. Uh, yeah, but LAX in, in, or I guess, yeah, the Bariquas, not a fan of that name because it gives me Savio Vega, 1997, 1998. The Gang Wars. Yeah. Uh, flashbacks and, uh, we, we don't, we don't, we don't need that. That, 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 that group wasn't very good. Um, but I guess memorable to, to some people. Uh, yeah, I, I guess that's going to be their name. And we'll we'll see if it, if, it, if it sticks or if they they go with something else on television. We'll see if they can. They got a lot to live up to with Savio Bre- Vega and Jesus and whatever fucking else was in the Los Pericos. Uh But good good angle and LAX and AEW. I'm I'm excited. Yeah, and you brought up that uh, that upcoming tag match where Jericho had the mystery uh, partners coming up here. And that's the interesting thing, because obviously uh, Santana and Ortiz make sense, especially by, you know, attacking the Bucks here. But it's, it also could be like a red herring to where it's like, yeah, they debuted here. Maybe they have other people in mind. I, I don't know who. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a tag team. It could be, you know, they could throw Pac in there and maybe someone else. I mean, who knows? But um, I, that's interesting. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, definitely like Santana and Ortiz coming in. They are a great get. They're a great tag team. And um, yeah, I am definitely excited for that. AEW returns to pay-per-view on November 9th, I believe they said. Yeah. What, what What's it called? It's like... Full Gear. Full Gear. There so you it's go. The, you, you go through the roadblock on Fast Lane in Full Gear. That's right, and just don't I realize get... it's a Hangman Page reference, but it can also be used as a car reference. And don't catch your great balls on fire. So that's right. And that led to our main event of the evening: Chris Jericho versus Hangman Page for the first ever AEW World Championship. Adam Page got to live his dream and rode into the arena on a horse. He looked very happy. Yeah, good for Adam Page. <laughs> I, I like that they they did this because. They've been teasing it, and so it was good that they capitalized, and this was obviously the the match to do it in. Yeah. Uh, So Chris Jericho defeated Hangman Page 26 minutes uh, via pin to become the first AEW champion. Jeremy, your thoughts? 
Good match, um, probably even better than I thought it was going to be because I had a lot of reservations about it with with Jericho's uh, recent performances and Hangman Page's ability to to step up. But I thought they Jericho certainly like had his his working boots on, and Hangman Page you can kind of see maybe not quite quite ready for this spot, and that was certainly a, a fear going into it i thought jericho worked really hard and did his best and and hangman he was fine it's just and he was sort of the the afterthought by the end of this and maybe a little too long as well i I think overall and the, the crowd was you know they reacted to the stuff they felt they needed to react to but then they would just sit back down and like okay this show is three and a half hours long already we're 18 minutes into this match when when when's this over with um and, and it's not like a you know the, the last show was in vegas you can kind of get away with four hours on the west coast a little bit more because by the time you're done it's still like eight o'clock nine o'clock over there here it's legitimately uh i guess 11 o'clock um since chicago's an hour behind but they were burnt out the crowd the crowd was burnt out and it sounded like from reports that you know everybody got started early on the white claws so good match not not great and being so long the the show being long and the match being long really hurt the crowd yeah um i had i we talked about this in the preview i had concerns going in because page i did not feel was built well as a challenger uh jericho's last few big matches lacked a little for me um, I do agree. I think he worked really hard here. I think the match went a little too long. And with it being so late into the show, because by the time this show was over, it almost hit five hours, including the pre-show. Crowd felt fatigued. I thought the layout was good. Some of the work felt a little, be, little bit like kind of meandering at times. Um, and I think the most unfortunate thing is that it really felt like Paige didn't quite feel ready for that spot. It was good, far from great. Um... And I know a lot of people are not a huge fan of it, but I do think Jericho winning the title was the safe and right call right now. You you had to have Jericho win this match. No no offense to Adam Page, but I, I look back on that Kip Sabian match and Ooh. just the the way they booked that. And there's a reason like the the crowd wasn't into Adam Page here. Like you watch that Kip Sabian match and it's okay, why should I be into this guy? I know he's on being the elite and he's one of those guys and like he's, he's kind of cool and that stuff and, and whatnot. That doesn't translate to like arena. Like, yeah, he creates a, a small buzz on Twitter and stuff. That, that doesn't translate to like in arena stuff. The what you do act on your actual television show or your actual event is going to mean a whole lot more than, than what you're doing on being the elite. And I'm sure they know that moving forward. If not, this should be kind of a wake-up call with that of, all right, Adam Page is cool in our little clique here, our little elite club, uh, but he's not like big arena cool. And, and this is not a knock on Adam Page. Like he was never he was never even even on being elite presented at a level of like an Omega, a Cody, or the the Bucks. It just it wasn't that, and the, that's why I guess he's not an executive vice president. But he, he was never even that on like the indie scene or anything. He was never at that level. And they tried with being the elite. They tried with the promos, and, and a lot of them were good. Like Jericho put him over strong. Adam Page, I thought his promo work was good. 
you still had this guy go 20 minutes with Kip Sabian. And that did that undid anything good that you did on your being the elite show because that's what more people saw. So yeah, the crowd reacted like Adam page was there to just do the job and that's what he ended up doing. Yeah. So overall thoughts on the show, Jeremy. Um, well we talked about it in the preview. You know, I didn't think they were going to close this show with Chris Jericho as the world champion. I thought it would be fine. Uh, because like that's your biggest star and yeah you know that's your world champion it's your first world champion you want to make that meaningful i get it um cool i thought they had something up their sleeve and you know lax was nice but that wasn't your show closer and they they didn't have anything and you know cm punk that was the rumor everyone tried to say it's not happening of course people like me were like well the more you say it's not happening it feels like it's gonna happen um because that's just we're working brother that's wrestling they didn't they they went with jericho and again it's not a bad closing but you can see it i mean we're, we're two hours after the show and we're on social media the buzz coming out of this show is not what it was after um double or nothing and and it wasn't as good of a show as double or nothing like there i don't think anything from this show topped dustin and cody but you had that closer of john moxley and so the buzz on everything was huge this you didn't have that closer and i i don't i wonder how that's going to you know now you've got a month before television i i wonder how that's going to work this show certainly it wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. It was a very good show. There was some memorable stuff on it, but it wasn't to that level. We, I feel like we've, we've come to expect off of literally one big show from AEW. And it, I hope it'll temper expectations a little bit because we've talked about it before of it's a different ball game when you go to TV uh, and they, you know, we haven't been able to judge them on much because it's just events and now, and they've delivered, but they've been able to deliver because they've had this stuff. You're not going to have this big stuff every single show. And this was kind of proof of it, of we're not going to always deliver these big surprises. It's just going to be good matches and, and memorable stuff like that. Like you can't count on these big close, cl- uh, closing angles every single time. And, and this was sort of the reality check for a lot of fans. Yeah, um... I was kind of, you know, they, they, you know, Jericho wins and he's heading to the back and the, the lower third hits. And I was kind of waiting for something to happen or someone to come out. And yeah, it was just, you know, Hey, Chris Jericho is your world champion. See you guys in October. Peace. And it wasn't necessarily that that was bad, but, um, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know if I was so much expecting anything, but like you said, they kind of set the stage and standard really high with double or nothing with the Moxley thing. And, um, yeah, I was, I was waiting for, I, like you mentioned Cody earlier, Cody picked up another win and, you know, maybe they were going to set up a world title match was maybe waiting for Cody to pop out and just be like, even just face off. They didn't have to do like a big elaborate thing, but maybe someone come out to tease a world title match, something. Um, but yeah, it kind of ended on a flat note. Um, and I think I agree the show, I thought it was very good. Not as good as double or nothing. And, um, one thing they need to worry about for me is, um, I appreciate the fact that obviously, you know, they're charging money for this show and, you know, it's pay-per-view obviously, and you want to give people your money's worth, but that doesn't mean that you have to have like a five hour show. 
I, I, I think that, like, I brought up the camera stuff before. That's something they have to shake out, some of the production stuff before they hit TV. Because, I mean, while WWE isn't perfect, I mean, when it comes to a lot of production stuff, WWE is very good at things. And you, whether you like it or not, you're going to be compared to them. So you have to have good production. Um, I'm sure the arenas will look great and everything, because they're going to have some big crowds early on. Plus, a lot of the people they have working in their production worked for TNA and Impact in the past, and were used to shooting arenas with not a lot of people into it and had to make them look really good on TV. So I'm sure crowd shots and everything like that and setup will be good. But you have to make sure you're not missing constant stuff and camera shots. But one of the big criticisms of WWE pay-per-views is you'll sometimes have a really good show, but then it goes like an hour and a half too long because you added two or three matches you really didn't need. And nothing on this show was bad. But I do think you need to keep in mind that you don't always have to have, quote-unquote, everybody on the show, and you don't need to press five hours. Because that's really long, and as we saw at the end, that crowd was tired. Plus, I think putting Jericho and Paige on after the ladder match was... I mean, I get why you did it, because it's first world champion, but not the best call. And this is the part of the show where I take you behind the curtain and reveal to you that Jeremy was cut off by Skype, so I'm going to have to end the show here. We were pretty much done anyway. So on behalf of Jeremy, I want to thank you guys for listening, as always, and for your support. Remember, this is the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course, the411mania.com website. If you have time, please subscribe and share the show around on social media. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes and know that we greatly appreciate you after another successful month. You guys are the best. Have a great weekend and we will talk to you again in a few days.